everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And right now we're doing Read the Reviews. This one is called Eye-Opening Podcast with Great Guest. I absolutely love this podcast. I stumbled across it while searching for some guidance on unschooling and world schooling, and I look forward to driving and walking so I can listen to it. I have learned so much and have been introduced to many amazing women and educators. Listening to this podcast has helped solidify my desire to unschool my one-year-old son in the future and equipped me with so many useful resources. This is by Wanderlust Blue. All right, let's get on to the intro. Now, Mom, who did you interview in this episode? I interviewed Lori Walker. And why did you interview her? Well, Lori's interview is a continuation of our series, Look for the Helpers, which is based on the Mr. Rogers quote and belief that in times of turmoil or chaos, that when you look and find the helpers, that's when you know that there's hope. And Lori is part of this series because she has someone who has really followed her dreams. And by following her dreams, she has really created something inspiring and helpful and supportive to a very large community of families and of kids. She is the founder and creator of Village Home, which is a unique supportive learning community. She says it's actually not a school, um, but I think probably that's a good way to describe it, is a unique supportive learning community. So Lori is part of this podcast to share her beautiful vision and to inspire others in the world of learning and education. And is there anything special you guys talked about in this episode? Yes, in this episode, we talked about the love of learning, nurturing the desire to learn. We talked about the natural learning process. And as well, Lori also helped define what kids really need to know. What should they learn? I know that's a big question that I uh, have been asked quite a few times lately with the closure of schools. And we talked about how she has done this through the Village Home Model, which is a learning model that allows learners to pursue their interests as an individual while also participating in a family-friendly community learning environment. So I'd like to know, have you been enjoying this series, Look for the Helpers? I hope you have, and I'd love to hear your comments and feedback on it. And if you find you've been receiving support from this podcast or even from the series and you would like to help out and support us, you can do so through Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, just go to patreon.com at slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids. And just for a few dollars a month, you can help support the show with editing costs, production costs, and helping to create more time so that we can continue continue creating great content and shows, and as well, continue to grow the show. And if Patreon is just not the right thing for you, leaving a review always helps. If you go to iTunes and leave a review of the show, that helps the show to get seen and noticed. Zara, do you have anything else to add? Yes. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to follow my mom on Instagram and Facebook at Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, and check out her website at Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. Enjoy the episode! Okay, so today I have Lori Walker joining me on the show. Lori, thank you so much for joining me today. (laughs) Absolutely. It's my pleasure. (laughs) Lori Walker is passionate about the idea that learning is a natural process and is an inherently fun process. It feels good to learn. So why are so many students bored and disengaged? Lori is the founder and executive director of Village Home, where learners actually enjoy learning. Village Home is a learning community that's built on the idea that learning is ultimately self-directed, and we as teachers are here to encourage learning as a process. 
Learners are all unique with unique interests and learning styles. The village home model allows learners to pursue their interests as an individual while also participating in a family-friendly community learning environment. Prior to founding Village Home in 2002, Lori was the Director of Training and Curriculum at Learning Forum, based in California, where she designed academic and life skills curriculum, trained teachers, and facilitated programs for teens. She's also served as a facilitator herself at programs in the United States and abroad. Lori has over 18 years of experience teaching and training adults and children in a variety of subjects from psychology to accounting for REITs. She earned degrees, graduated summa cum laude with distinction and honors from SMU in business management and psychology with an emphasis on child development. Lori's two daughters provided the initial inspiration for Village Home and her job as mom is the best job she will ever have. She lives in Beaverton with her husband and an assortment of animals. Thank you, Lori. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's funny to hear that because my daughters aren't at home anymore. They're all Mm -hmm. grown up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, your daughters are grown. They're not at home homeschooling with you anymore and going to village, village home. And there's been changes because of the time of COVID right now with your community with Village Home as well. So there's, yeah, there's been adjustments to that bio, actually. For sure. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We can talk more about that soon, too. So maybe for those who are, this is their first introduction to you, maybe they haven't heard of Lori Walker before or Village Home, maybe we can go back and start from the beginning. You have two daughters, have, and you were a homeschooling mom. Did you homeschool them from the very beginning? Yes, we homeschooled from, uh, you know, preschool ages uh, with with the girls. And we decided to start homeschooling my older daughter uh, simply more from a family lifestyle perspective. It seemed really strange to me that um, we were going to say goodbye to her for a huge chunk of the day just because she happened to turn five. And it was some day in September that seemed very um, counterintuitive to us as parents. And so we started looking at homeschooling more from a family lifestyle choice, not an educational choice initially. So choosing this path, um, how was every, was it, was your husband supportive? Was family around you supportive? Did you know other homeschoolers or did you have any other homeschoolers in your family? So it was pretty easy to, to uh, make this choice. Uh, Well, it was definitely a very different choice compared to the rest of my uh, family and the girls' cousins were all traditionally schooled. And uh, my husband and I, of course, came from a traditional school background, which is typical for most homeschooling parents, I think. So it was definitely new territory. And it was actually my husband who first suggested it. Um, And I did not know anything about homeschooling and I had not even considered it. the thought was that I would go back to work um, at some point. And um, so it was new territory without a doubt. I went and started doing some research when my husband brought it up. He brought up homeschooling from the perspective of he was very bored in school and he wanted our kids to remain really excited about the process of learning. And he felt his schooling experience took that away from him. 
And so he wanted to look at it from that standpoint. I was intrigued from the standpoint of I wanted the opportunity to learn and grow together. I love being with my kids and I didn't want to miss any opportunities with them. And so we looked at both of those things. Once I started looking at homeschooling, the other huge advantage I saw was that it enabled us to be in the world more. And some people see homeschooling as a way to um, educate their children in a particular uh, mindset, uh, way of being, maybe with their religious values put on top or whatever their priorities are as a family. But my reason to homeschool was actually the opposite. I wanted to expose my kids to even more in the greater world than they could get in traditional school. And I feel like a lot of times in traditional school, kids are caught in the four walls of the school building and they aren't able to interact in the real world. And I wanted my kids to be out in the real world. So I did some research. We first uh, started talking about homeschooling when my older daughter was still preschool age. And um, I actually went to a homeschool meetup at the park in San Diego, California, where we were living at the time. And prior to being at home with my daughter, I, um, I had been working in a program and worked with teens a whole lot. So I was really familiar with teens and who they were and how they acted and what they, how they thought and all this kind of stuff. And so I go to this little park meeting time and I found a group of teenagers who were there with their homeschooling group. And so I just asked them questions. I was like, what is this like for you? And uh, how how do you feel like you can learn well and as a homeschooler and um, what does it feel like and what are your ambitions for your life and all these kind of things and uh, I was so impressed with these young people who were willing to talk to a complete stranger and the way that they were willing to articulate who they were and what interested them and how passionate they were about learning and themselves as learners um, they were articulate, they communicated well with adults. I mean, all of these things that were super impressive. And I came home from that park day and said to my husband, okay, I'm in because I want my kids when they're teenagers to be that grounded in who they are. And um, so that was, um, that was kind of the tipping point that made us decide to take the plunge. In our family, of course, uh, grandma, was like, what? You're doing what? <laughs> and all the cousins were, you know, the grandmas on both sides were used to cousins uh, bringing home A's on report cards and getting awards for the science fair and, you know, all those kinds of great things. And um, so there was, they didn't really understand what we were doing um, at first. And I think that they assumed we would do it for a little while. It'd be a little phase and then we would change into something else. And we always kept that open. It was, uh, we always gave the girls an opportunity to tell us if they wanted to do something different and we would have talked about it and considered it for sure. Um, but year after year, we just kept choosing homeschooling. We were having too good of a time to do anything different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love how you say that because trying sometimes to explain to um, to people that maybe are new to it or even unsure that, you know, you're having a too good of a time. 
And it's it's a funny concept, and I think now I start to take it for granted, granted that you can have fun in learning, and that's really how it can be, <laughs> instead of it being this drudgery of meeting these requirements and checking off these boxes. Right. That's actually how it is for us as adults. I mean, we it's not hard for us to think about it when we're learning something new. It's... Uh, exciting and uh, captivating and it, it actually feels good even if it's something difficult it, it's like mm-hmm. wow that that process of digging into something is inherently rewarding and um, our brains enjoy it yeah that's right that's right so for your daughters did so they homeschooled all the way throughout they um did they go back to school at any time and come out or how, what did it look like they, for their uh, learning journey? Yeah, they uh, were homeschoolers and attended classes at Village Home. Village Home ended up taking off faster than I thought it would. So um, I, because I was busy with the community, I uh, didn't have as much time to do things with them at home. So they took a lot of classes at Village. Um, but uh, like we were designed to be, they just take what they're interested in. So they had a nice little hodgepodge of things that they took from term to term that helped them pursue their interests. Mm. So that was all of their Sorry, education until they got to uh, high school age. And then they both went through what is called an early college program in our state. So they t- took classes at the community college that were dual credit high school and college level courses. And, um, and then they went on to university from there. Okay. Uh, you're in Oregon, is that right? Yes. I'm in the Portland area. Okay. Is it fairly, so for example, I'm in Canada and we don't have community college structured the way it is in the United States. Uh, colleges are usually more technical colleges. Well, then we have universities. That's the difference between our colleges and universities. Colleges usually have a shorter a certificate program while universities have the degree program it's and it's not um, open to everyone you it's a paying uh, it's another post-secondary institute essentially here in Canada so maybe if anyone is unfamiliar can you explain a little bit how community colleges work and why it is that actually I find many U.S. homeschoolers especially unschoolers self-directed learners uh, start community college classes fairly early too. Right. So in our community college system in our state, you can start as early as 16. And actually, there's ways to start even earlier. And some people do um, a few extra hoops you have to jump through. But um, the community college system here in the United States, uh, generally, they, um, you matriculate with what's called an associate's degree, uh, which is a two-year degree that has general education underlying it. Um, and the associate's degree can, people can take their associate's degree and enter into university um, with that. And it translates pretty well into most of the state uh, sponsored universities. But community college is popular here because it's relatively affordable and it's very accessible. So um, a lot of independent learners choose it. In our particular state, we have dual credit programs, so it's an extra benefit because it is the college courses you take are paid for 
by the state mm -hmm. education system. So that's mm -hmm. an extra advantage here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a great system. I, I think that's fantastic. Definitely not something that Canada offers, that's for sure. Yeah. So if you could, maybe if you could talk a little bit more about Village Home then, for anyone that's unfamiliar, because you said that was something that ended up taking off a lot faster than you expected it to. What is Village Home? How would you describe it? Well, we are a, a place that's kind of like actually a community college, ironically, starting at school. <laughs> Uh, we offer a slate of classes that families can pick and choose from. And some families um, take a lot of classes with us and others just take one or two. But we're based on the idea that uh, learners need to have a voice uh, and own their own education. So we want learners to choose the classes that, re that they are genuinely interested in. And our feeling is, is that it's more important to be engaged in the learning than it is to look at it from a perspective of I'm going to acquire skill A, B, C, or D. So we want right. to have a slate of things that is enticing and exciting and that kids are um, excited to uh, really come in the door ready to learn with an open mind and um, that's when actual learning happens and our teachers know that their job in that little short class time is just to really inspire the kids to dig deeper and to go and learn more on their own and um, so that's what we're hoping to do we have a community that is by design very family friendly because um, we think that the parent is the manager of the kids' education and hopefully in concert with them. And so we have an environment that is really family friendly. The parents are welcome to be on campus, welcome to hang out in the classroom. Um, they give us input on what kind of classes we're offering. It's a very um, family community based and that's super important. And then the other thing that we focus on is giving the kids plenty of opportunity to learn from each other and with each other. And so our classes are, uh, have a lot of group work and a lot of project-based things and a lot of active learning as opposed to um, the, the idea of someone coming into a classroom and just being talked at and told what they need to know and learn. Um, it's a much more active process with their classmates. Mm, we wanted okay. to, um, when we first started home, me personally, when I first started homeschooling, um, I really loved school as uh, when I went through my public school experience, I loved it and got a lot out of my school experience. And when I started unpacking what that was really about it wasn't really about the learning. What I loved was being part of the choir or being a student leader in that group or um, doing the extracurricular fun stuff with my classmates. And that's really what I carried away. That and a couple of relationships with teachers that were really special. Um, and so I wanted to be sure that my kids could have all of those things um, mm -hmm. while still 
being in charge of their own education and homeschooling and being, um, you know, with us as a family unit. So I wanted to be sure that the kids at Village have an opportunity to be part of something that's bigger than themselves, that's bigger than their family. Um, and so we have plenty of opportunity for kids to get involved and to, um, you know, be in, a, be in clubs and be in competitions and be on teams and um, all those great things, you know, do the yearbook, you know, all that kind of stuff that um, is part of what shapes a, a kid's developmental experience. So how old were your girls when you started Village Home? Uh, well, my oldest uh, daughter was turning seven and um, my, no, she was turning six, pardon me. She was turning six and my little one was turning three. Okay. Oh, so they're fairly young. Okay. Yeah, they okay. Were little. yeah. So, you know, I think of, because how many you have, Village Home is now across three campuses. Is that right? And there's like quite a few that are enrolled with Village Home. What's is it? It's over 700, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, well, prior to the COVID chapter that we're in right now, um, we were uh, almost at 800. Um, wow. Okay. This past year across three campuses. And, yeah. Um, so- that's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty big. <laughs> yeah. It's not like just a small management activity. It's it's a good it's a good size undertaking. Oh, absolutely. I would think even getting it started would have it would have taken some time and effort, or was that the opposite? You started very small and then it just you grew it grew along with you or uh, you know, what you know, what was when, kind of the story behind that? Yeah, when we first started, uh, we were actually publicly funded, ironically, in a public funding bucket that doesn't exist anymore. So that was very short-lived. But um, at the very beginning, our classes were tuition-free. Oh, wow. And yeah, we changed. That's a whole different story. But we changed (laughs) the way that we did things uh, shortly after that. And uh, because of the parameters to be in the public system, the parameters were uncomfortably tight for us and what our model of learning was. So we went private. Parameters in the public because of they thought you were more of a school and therefore they wanted certain academic requirements or health requirements, what kind of... Yeah, it was um, on the academic front, they were... um, they started to, although at first we were contracted to service homeschoolers to give them supplementary service, um, but before long they came back around, the Department of Ed came back around and said, oh, actually you have to be sure that the entire curriculum is delivered to each kid. And, mm-hmm. um, and we were like, well, we can partner with families to be sure that that happens, but there wasn't really a good uh, path toward that that we could see um, with the Department of Education. So we decided to go private. Right. And, I, I um, live in Canada, so I'm, I'm very aware of public requirements, especially in education. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Rules yeah. and regulations. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So we thought, no, mm-hmm. we want to do it differently. So we, we went private. And um, we initially thought that we were going to have, we were thinking it would be great if we had 40 kids registered for a class and you know their very first uh sign up we had a line out the door and this is before computer you know uh, registration <laughs> uh, we had a line out the door and uh I, I think like 70 kids almost twice as many as we expected um at the very beginning wow. 
and uh, and then it just went from there. Yeah. Holy! So you tapped into a need very quickly. Definitely from the um, homeschooling community, the, I was seeing my friends with older kids uh, who were just in the car all day, running around, going to violin lesson, and then going over to the fencing club, and then going um, to the Spanish group that they put together to learn Spanish. And, you know, it was really hectic. And um, I thought there must be a more efficient way to do this, too. So part of it was just making it easy and convenient to maintain homeschooling, because mm-hmm. so, we don't want parents to burn out. And and parents also burned out. My friends also burned out because they started getting scared. Like, Oh gosh, my child is super interested in chemistry and I can't teach chemistry. So I guess we can't homeschool anymore. And I didn't want that to happen either. So, right. um, so we're a way for homeschoolers to, be able to stick with it and have fun with it, take some of the pressure mm-hmm. off. Yeah, I love the model. I think it's fantastic. And I, yeah, I hope to see it grow more and more and more because I think it's something that's absolutely definitely needed, uh, even you know, within the homeschooling community, but beyond as well. So for, for many of the families that go there, are they, do you find that it's a pretty eclectic mix? Are some like very traditional homeschoolers, traditional learning style, are self-directed learners and unschoolers, or is it a bit of like a, like we call it like a melange, like a, a mixture of everything altogether? Oh, right. Definitely a melange. So part of our philosophy is that we aren't going to tell you what the best way to homeschool is, because that's kind of the antithesis of what we're about, where education is a unique journey for every kid and for every family. And so we do have families that are doing all different kinds of things with their educational philosophy. And I've also noticed over the years that even within a family, um, there are changes over the years. So a particular family may start out with a really structured school at home approach and over time lean more into an unschooling approach or vice versa. Um, So there's a lot of, there's a lot of variation and a lot of diversity, which I really embrace. And I think that's one of the strengths of the community actually. Hmm. So how do you make it accessible for families? Is it like the fee? Are you able to keep it fairly low or you just have so many options that there's a lot to choose from? How do you balance all of that so that more can have access to it? Yeah, it's a great question. It's something that I really take. It's very important to me that we stay affordable. And uh, in order to make that happen, we keep a pretty lean organization and a lot of the tuition dollars go straight to the classroom, to the teacher and to the infrastructure to, um, for the class itself. And so we've been able to contain costs and stay really competitive. Um, we offer a 10 hour, 10 hours of instruction in biology for $130. Um, so $13 an hour, which is mm-hmm. really, really affordable in the market, at least here in our market, um, it's really affordable. And um, so we contain costs. We also, uh, you know, we're a nonprofit. So we have supporters that help 
uh, fund financial aid for us. And we offer, um, well, this year we offered about $30,000 in financial aid for tuition. And then about that much again in what we call work aid, where people can volunteer and um, do things that, that can uh, lower their tuition, give them discounts on tuition. And so we, we have things like that that help keep it affordable. The, the big thing that we have is that we have a whole group of offerings called clubs that are super inexpensive and they are led by parent volunteers. So there's a part of our organization that is the most like a homeschool co-op. Um, a parent volunteer leads a group and some of those are super casual and super socially oriented and others are actually more curriculum oriented and there might be a club a book club for example where kids are reading a book and come together and discuss it and do activities about the book and you know all that kind of stuff um, but those clubs are super affordable uh, we charge 25 dollars typically for a whole term of a club um, and so that's a way that some families access our services as well super affordable okay and the area, so your three campuses, are they kind of spread out or are they all pretty centrally located together? Uh, we have two in the Portland metro area, uh, one on each side of the river of the Willamette River. And then we have one in Salem, which is uh, the capital of Oregon. And it's about 45 minutes south of here. Okay. 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 So you're getting further spread out. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and what, what about the teachers? Are they um, the teachers that I, I know you said the biggest, the point and purpose for the teachers is to inspire the kids and get them to dive deeper and really enjoy learning. Where do you find these teachers? <laughs> you know, it's not hard. It's so funny how many teachers we hire who are like, are you kidding me? This is why I get into teaching. Like, this is the, <laughs> uh, you know, you're not going to hand me a binder and say, teach this. Um, so we, part of our structure is that we want, just like we want learners to show up authentically, we want our teachers to show up authentically. So I do not on purpose hand the teacher a curriculum and say, this is what you're going to do because we want the teachers, we want to spring from them authentically because that's what they get inspired by and excited about. And so therefore they can spark more excitement in the classroom. Um, and also, frankly, a lot of the package type curriculum is uh, very uh, schooly oriented. And, and I mean like paper and pen, worksheet type orientation. And that's not what our classes are about. And so our teachers are relatively easy to find and we have teachers that have been with us for you know eight years 10 years 12 years um once they once we get them they want to stay which is nice mm. and our teachers teach they present proposals to us for the classes they want to teach so uh, we have teachers that might get excited about a new topic and they would propose a course around that topic and we would offer that as opposed to, to only offering geometry and American history. You know, we, we offer courses that we offer some courses like that, but we also offer courses that um, really express the 
teachers' interests or the community's interests. Hmm. Okay. So we had one class, you know, what, this is an example. I can think of an example. Um, we had a class yeah, called yeah. The History of Food, and there was a, uh, a book that came out called Salt, Fat. I can't remember the name of the book that inspired the teacher. but yeah. Salt, um, Fat, and Heat or something yeah, like that? Or something salt, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so it inspired the teacher to take a look at how has uh, food shaped history and culture and anthropology. Mm -hmm. And it was all interdisciplinary, but um, that was sparked by the teacher's um, interest in that topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would love to take that class. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. I know I, I hear it and I think, oh, why why don't we have more learning like that? Why isn't this more why isn't this more widespread and offered further and farther? I you know, do you have the answer to that? Because <laughs> I'd like well, to know. Well, why, why not? In the um, in the traditional schooling world, there is such a huge interest in measuring and mm -hmm. um, you know, measuring students' learning, measuring teaching effectiveness, measuring, measure, 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 measure. And um, as long as we have an education system that is putting the emphasis on measuring, um, it's hard to make room for uh, something like Village Home on a wide scale basis, just because we actually think that measuring uh, gets in the way of intrinsic motivation to learn. And we yeah. don't want anything that interferes with that. So I think that that's why it's been hard for traditional educators to wrap their head around adopting this kind of a thing. Although I think there's a lot of elements in it, how we support autonomy and learning and how we support belonging in the community that could be translated into other settings. Um, and, you know, just with the added cost of if you're going to measure kids right and left, then it's going to be, it's going to feel different to them. And in terms yeah. of in the homeschool community, um, the, we do have organizations around the country that have started, have been inspired by Village Home and have started their own things in their own communities based on what we're doing. And I was just at a conference uh, last summer and a lady came up to me and said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to meet you. I started this thing in California and, you know, we based it on Village Home and I had no idea. Like I hadn't, mm. I never had heard of her. I'd never heard of the place. And she had a whole thing rocking down there, which was awesome. So, um, so we have inspired, um, and I do know of some that we, that were in touch with us and I know that we've inspired them to start um, so that's good. And, you know, we're interested in, in helping people do this for their communities. The stars that initially take some doing because the stars have to align on, um, you know, space. And there's, there's a lot of things that have to happen at the very beginning to, um, make it work in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, there are. Hmm. Well, and I also, you know, what I hear as well, and I, I hear very common themes with educators here 
where I am is in Alberta too, because, you know, they see that, you know, somebody that I talk to, they don't agree with the traditional, the measurements and the testing and trying to get everyone to fit into that box, the, you know, the, the peg into the square peg into the round hole. And, but they feel that their options are limited. And I could see not just families and kids being inspired by this, but I can see how educators would, yeah, they would be absolutely inspired and think, this is why I went into this profession. This is what I thought it would look like. (laughs) This is the opportunity to do so. Right, right. I think that um, when people come to visit Village Home, it's really interesting from a traditional uh, school environment. The kids get it immediately. Like they go, ding, um, because they can feel that their class, that the kids they're watching in classes are actually engaged and mm. they see the difference immediately. And the parents don't see it usually first. Um, and so it, it's it's been an interesting pattern that I think is because the quality of the emotional environment, how the classroom feels to the kid is fundamentally different if you're attending to the job of inspiring the kids to learn. And um, so that's exciting that the kids notice right away. Right. The kids get it. That should be like a tagline for a few, yeah. quite a few, the kids get it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about the parent, the kids get it. And that's right. what matters. So. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's part of how, what I believe about, about kids in general is that we can trust them. Um, yes. Learning, yes. You know, learning is natural and the drive to learn is natural. And if we get out of the way of that as much as we can, um, the, the kids are like, incredible sponges. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a Peter Graves that just get out of their way, <laughs> get out of kids way. They'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we do have families that don't stick with us because our classes are too fun, which um, makes me laugh um, because <laughs> uh, learning is fun and we are playful in our approach to learning and we encourage the kids to play with each other and, you know, all that kind of stuff because um, that actually feeds the whole um, learning process inside the brain. So the more enjoyment you're having, the more um, things are going to stick anyway. So Right. Yeah. Yeah, we shouldn't be so scared of having fun. We have this, especially as adults, we have this fear that it's we're doing something wrong or we're subjecting our kids to lost op- opportunities if they, you know, have fun in their learning or if we're having fun sometimes too in our learning in life that it's uh, a, a, a red X that's going to happen. It, yeah. it must not that's be somewhere we. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. It must yeah, not be real. Not that's be right. Real. You, 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 yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting how pervasive that is. and But yet our natural, our nature is to, you know, gravitate to what's fun and enjoyable in that way. So, yeah, Absolutely. the constant fight. Well, you you are also a child psychology major as well. You So you, um, I'm sure you would have seen and understood many facets, facets of the learning development, you know, what's important play, the importance of play and connection, relationships and uh, enjoyment in uh, our brain pathways and in learning. 
Right. That was actually what informed uh, me in putting the emphasis and giving teachers permission to pay attention to those things and to set up a playful class and an active class and all that kind of thing is because that's what meshes well um, with actual development. And Mm. it's reflected in our overall program because um, the younger ages, the classes are extra playful. And it's not until the middle schoolish and high schoolish age that we even start doing things in more of a Socratic way where there might be a class discussion or, you know, something like that, because it's not until that time developmentally that um, kids can really grasp the world outside of their own selves um, in a meaningful way. So it's not that we pay attention to that and require that. It's that um, we empower our teachers to be open to um, responding to what's happening in the classroom. And so they are, and they realize, oh, these people are really active. So we're going to be doing lots of hands-on stuff. And, um, you know, versus these teenagers, they really want to talk. So we're going to set up ways for them to talk. Um, so it's more paying attention to the human beings in front of them instead of a particular piece of curriculum that they want to share. Mm, right. Okay. Yeah. Paying attention to the human beings, to the individual. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I get that. So then maybe we can talk a little bit more about learning as well and what maybe you see in the future because you have the capacity and, and the oversight with Village Home. And then now with this chapter in the world and our lives with COVID and all of the changes and flux that that has brought, I know even for Village Home as well, uh, with so many outside of that, so many that have come home for work and for school do you see a possible shift happening in the world of education and traditional schooling at all? Or do you think it will revert pretty well back to the same and, or just try to revert back to the same? Um, I think that the answer is for me is mixed, but I focus on the glass half full approach. I see a lot of fantastic silver linings about this time. Um, I know that families who were in traditional school settings and now are at home with their kids, they went through a panic moment of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this person all day? Um, And I'm hoping that as time is passing, they're beginning to understand and appreciate the individual journey that their kids are on and um, that they have time as a family to experience each other as individuals and to learn together um, because I think that a lot of families have just non-consciously even given that job away to the school and the idea Mm -hmm. that they can actually be on that journey with their kids is super rewarding and exciting. And I'm hoping that more families are having the opportunity to discover that. Mm, Amen. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I hope so as well. It's good for our community, it's good for our society, and it's good for the individual parent and child as well. Definitely. I saw one of, you know, how all of the commercials, there's a million commercials every day, these like um, poignant COVID-esque commercials. And um, in one of those, there was just a little tiny blip of this kid 
who said they they were asking what are the good things and one lady was like oh i can wear yoga pants all day and you know whatever but this kid said i'm eating dinner with my family every day mm. and just the gratitude in his voice was uh, brought me to tears and i, I was like that's how that's good <laughs> yeah. that is yeah. beautiful because at our dinner table one of our standard we had standard questions at dinner, and the first one was always, what'd you learn today? Um, and it was an important part. It, it was actually an important part of the learning. Like, that's how they consolidated learning, and that's how I found out what they were interested in and all kinds of stuff, just with a simple dinner question, what'd you learn today? Mm. Um, and the idea that those dinner moments are coming back, and it is beautiful. It's beautiful for our society, and I'm hoping it will translate into uh, more connected families and more appreciation of learning as a natural process. Mm. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's it's actually that dinner conversation. It's you know here in Alberta, um, we it, as a requirement with the government, you have to register as a homeschooler with the education department. And one of their requirements is that no matter if you're an unschooling family or traditionally homeschooling, there's different terms here, like parent-directed, if the parent has complete responsibility, or if you're blended, or you have to create a what they call a home learning plan. And it's kind of like an overview of what you plan to do through the year, or the goals or outcomes that you want to meet for the year. And that's, you know, for us, where you are allowed to opt out of the curriculum um, so that our family does opt out and we just go by these general learning outcomes. But we always include in our home learning plan, uh, part of our learning and, you know, quote unquote assessment is conversation. And it's a huge part of our family learning process. And especially, yeah, those meals, those conversation at mealtimes when we're all together and you can dissect things that happen through the day. You can ask questions that you're, you know, tell stories, elaborate, narrate, you know, talk about uh, topics and issues. There's so much. And I mean, even throughout the day too, but there's so much learning that happens. And like you said, it consolidates that learning that has been happening through conversation through that, you know, that piece of communication and conversation, we, I think, overlook it many times of how important it is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the consolidation piece. It's, it's actually an assessment piece. So a lot of people who are new to homeschooling get worried about how do I know? How do I know what mm -hmm. my kid knows? And, and it's as easy as ask, just like have a conversation. Um, you know, if you've been reading a novel ask your kiddo, tell me, tell me about that character and you'll know what they're getting and what they're not getting. So yes. yeah. um, assessment, the number one way that I assessed as a homeschooling parent was I had conversations with my kids. Yes. And um, so it was a very natural part of the learning. Yeah, it is. It really is. So what is, for you, over these years now, from the very beginning when you first, let's say when you're first pregnant with your first daughter, and to now, 
What have been some of the, have there been little things along the way or have there been big aha moments where, you know, you thought when it came to learning and education, it was going to be one way. And then as you got into the lifestyle, home educating with village home as well, there were moments where you were, you know, it struck you and you're like, okay, now this makes sense. Or this was completely different from how I thought it was going to be. Right. Well, I, uh, the first thing that popped in my head, I'm sure there's a million, right? Because I feel like I have been on a learning journey that is as big as my kids. I, mm, yes, I constantly yes. learn and I constantly adjusted and um, constantly looked around it for new ideas and different ideas. But I think the first huge aha was that, and it was probably because I was coming professionally, I had been writing curriculum. So, of course, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to, like, create this customized curriculum that's going to be, like, perfect for my children. And, um, (laughs) And it was very early on that I realized... Oh, well, not so much. Um, and I, <laughs> I really came to appreciate my first aha was that, oh, it's not the teacher's job to teach. It's the learner's job to learn. And mm. what can I do? What? How can I set up the world for my learners so that they are, um, you know, they have a smooth pathway to discover and inquire and explore and so that was the first huge one where I had to completely flip that. And it's not about what I'm teaching. It's about what they are learning. And a lot of times we think that we're teaching one thing and actually something else is being That's learned. Another. Yeah. Being learned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my, um, my older daughter um, did not learn to read very early and um and, you know, the asterisk on that is, is that she went to college on a full ride scholarship and was reading at college level in fifth grade. And, you know, so it's not because there were, because it damaged her in any way to start reading later. Um, so she didn't start reading independently until the beginning of her fourth grade year. And in third grade year, I started panicking about it because I was reading all this, all this information about she should be reading, she should be reading. And of Mm -hmm. course, grandma (laughs) really thought she should be reading. Um, So I was taking it as a, uh, you know, oh, no, uh, you know, one of the many, am I doing it right kinds of moments that I've had as a, as a homeschooling parent. Um, And so we were actually going home for Christmas with grandma and grandpa. And I, I'm embarrassed to say, but this is the truth. This is what happened. I took my daughter's two favorite books that I knew she had memorized by heart because we had read them so many times together. (laughs) And those were the two books I packed in the suitcase. And just in case grandma said, Hey, do you want to read? And I knew that she could like, take her way through those two books. <laughs> no um, shame, Lori. No, yeah, no, no shame. I, I, we've, all, we've been there. It's all right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, because I didn't want grandma. I, I, if I like isolated the external factors, I wasn't worried about it. I was worried about it because I was looking at it through the eyes of like my parents who I was afraid would be concerned if she wasn't reading. So, um, so that's uh that I have done, I in moments like that with reading with my 
um, older daughter, and also with math at another chapter where I would get in these panics of, oh my gosh, you should be A, B, C, D by now. And, um, you know, that just, uh, that was my second big aha is that everybody unfolds in their own unique way and everybody is different. And my second daughter taught me that because as I'm trying to explain, you know, how to multiply two numbers together to my fifth grade older daughter, my second grader is sitting on the floor playing Legos and like shouting out the answers. (laughs) 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 Two digit multiplication things that she's just doing in her head, you know? I was like, how are you doing that? Um, So that was another big aha is that, wow, they're all so unique and they all Mm -hmm. unfolded their own, you know, brilliance. So it's, uh, it's, it's, um, that's been one of the most rewarding things actually is just noticing um, kids being themselves, my own kids, but the kids at village home, just that they are free to be who they are and to um, develop in the unique ways that they're going to develop and not because they're being forced into the round hole. Yeah. If, if all kids had that opportunity, I wonder how different the world would look. Yeah. 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 I think that it would look, um, I think that people would look more like those teenagers at the park in San Diego looked with Mm. my baby on my hip when I talked to them, they would be grounded. Mm. They would be, they would have esteem intact. They would be bold enough to explore. Um, I think it would be huge, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it would, yeah, because it shapes their adulthood, the, the adults and the active citizens, that the parts they play in the world as adults later on. So I, I think it would, exactly. be, it would be a bold move <laughs> for, for nowadays, a bold but be. good move. It would be. <laughs> Oh, I love that. And I, I love actually, you know, it reminds me because I remember you telling me that story about your daughter, the one who was a late reader. And, you know, the whole irony of, you know, she ended up when she did pick up reading, she was reading at a a level much higher than her other age group in schools. Um, and I remember you also telling me one of the, one of the things that she had when you had talked about it much later, there was a comment that she had made about because you had been reading so much to your girls. And um, do you remember what you had said to me that your daughter yeah. had made the comment about actually, why about being read to? Yeah, yeah. So she actually articulated, she was given an assignment when she went to community college, her first writing right, class right. there. The assignment was write an essay about how you learn to read and write. And I didn't know this until I read her work after she turned it in. And, um, and it was it, her, the way that she expressed it was that she enjoyed, she relished words and stories so much that she was reticent to learn how to read because she was afraid she was going to have to let go of some of the richness of the stories. 
So she would look at the beginning reading books and they were boring and dry and bland and simple. And mm -hmm. in her mind, she was comparing that to the stories that we were reading together, like, you know, something like Charlotte's Web or, yeah. you know, um, the, the uh, Benedict Society. I mean, these fantastic, rich stories. And she couldn't tackle those kinds of words yet. And so she preferred just to sit back and wait um, until it could be, until she could tackle it and, and get to that level of reading. And so yeah. ironically, I really think in hindsight, it was her enjoyment of reading that kept her from reading earlier, ironically. Right. Ironically. Yeah. 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 I, I love that story. And I think it is, yeah, <laughs> so fitting about our our rush for kids to read early and to jam pack them with all of this information on literacy so that they could be reading at a certain level. But we so many times miss the fact that you can read for enjoyment and that it's, you know, that becomes the intrinsic motivation to continue reading and, and building on your reading for there. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So if we can, um, I know we're getting to our time here as well, and I just wanted to ask for Village Home, how, is, how have you adapted to COVID and to um, the isolation and quarantine? What have you guys well, done to uh, make things happen for your community? Yes, uh, well, it's been a ride, of course, for all of our families. And we ended up um, going home, so to speak, a couple of days before the state uh, mandated it, or I, I should say one day before the state mandated it is what it ended up being. But um, so we've been at home now for almost, what is that, eight weeks, a while now. <laughs> the the yes. novelty has worn off. Yeah, um, it has, we, yes. <laughs> uh, we shifted uh, some of our classes into an online setting and our teachers have done a fabulous job showing that they too are lifelong learners because they've gotten used to, um, you know, online platforms and a whole new way of uh, having the kids interact with information um, in a Zoom uh, room, so to speak. Um, that's the platform that we deliver most of the classes on. And um, it's going surprisingly well. The kids are amazing. They are so flexible and adaptable, and they've been happy to have an opportunity to be with each other, even if it's virtually. So that's what we're doing right now. We're in the process of looking toward the fall and, you know, getting our crystal balls out to see what that is going to look like. Um, I imagine for the upcoming year, we will continue to do some things online and then we'll see what we can, if we can do things in person um, safely and, um, you know, within the parameters that are going to be required. So what we're focused on is keeping our families supported and our community um, engaged. We have a lot of um, offerings that we call virtual lounges because on all of our campuses, we have a family lounge where people can hang out. So we've built um, these virtual lounge activities where people can come in and do you know, Pokemon Go together, or they can come in and they can uh, do knitting and handwork together and, um, you know, just places to be with each other. 
And uh, so we're doing that too right now until we can be, you know, together in person. Right. Yeah. And, and then we just slowly move forward as it's still, timing is uncertain right now. <laughs> it is. It, lots of uncertainties. I'm really, um, it's, it strikes me that families who have been homeschooling can really be beacons in this time for other families who aren't used to living through the day with their children. And um, so for a lot of us who've been homeschooling, that's kind of second nature. And um, I think that we can be encouraging to those families who are getting used to that rhythm and helping those families appreciate it. For, for me in my neighborhood, we have a lot of children, a lot of young families and children in our neighborhood. And so I've taken, when I see people out walking, you know, I take the opportunity to ask them how, how's it going, mom, you know, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's appreciated. Them, yeah. Yeah. Helping them just hopefully like relax with what is and enjoy their children. So, um, that's the most important thing I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Enjoying, enjoying our children and building that foundation from there. Yeah. For yeah. the relationship and for them as well. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Thank you so much, Lori. I, I also would like if you could to uh, leave information where we can find out more about Village Home um, or connect with you. Uh, if anyone wants to reach out and ask any questions, how can we do that? Oh, sure. I'm happy to. Uh, the Village Home website is probably the best place to land to begin with, and that's villagehome.org. Um, and you can also reach me at hello at villagehome. Dot org. That's my email. Happy to chat. Okay, perfect. Do you guys have, is there Facebook. a Facebook? Yeah, we're on Facebook too, under Village Home, and um, you can find us there too. Okay, perfect. And I'll put all of that information in the show notes as well. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time, and I really hope things can get back up and running so that the community can start going again for Village Home. I think it's a wonderful thing. And I, I would love to next time, I'm not sure when, but next time I'm down on that part of the world to have a visit and, and see what it's like there. Oh, I hope so. Please come. Yeah, come and Thanks. visit yes. us anytime. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Thank you for the Thank opportunity. You. Okay. Thank you, Lori.